would have expected that as the people were reading the book or the letter to the Philippians that they would hear the story of a man who's discouraged and who's down and out in the dumps. And instead, they read this letter and it is dripping with unexpected joy. And Paul's life, it's just, it's just this, this challenge to us. Here he is, and, and he's awaiting trial before Caesar, and he doesn't know what's about to happen to him. You know, Caesar could say, well, you know what, I find no fault with this man, and, and he could be released. Or Caesar could say, off with his head. And Paul, in his letter, he was torn between living and dying. Now, this isn't him thinking about committing suicide. That's not, that's not what he was torn with. He just, he just knows that, you know, being in the presence of Jesus is the best thing ever. But he also knows that there's work to be done here on earth. And we left off in our series last week by saying that Paul's joy came from serving. Right? If he was going to live, his life would be dedicated to the fruitful service of the kingdom. And the challenge for you and I is that for those of you who have given your lives to Jesus, you're on your way to heaven. But until you get there, do something. I mean, this dual citizenship that we have, it's kind of, it's kind of difficult to manage isn't it? Paul knew that heaven would be better than this life, and he looked forward to that. But until that time was to come, his joy came from laboring for the kingdom. And so if it's not God's will to you to be, for you to be in heaven today, then you need to do something. If you're here and you're breathing, you need to do something. Some of you are here this morning, and I want to tell you, you need to quit putting off decisions that have eternal consequences. Some of you need to quit putting that off. You don't have the luxury of time to put that off. There are decisions that you need to make that could determine your eternal destination. Don't put that off. There are eternal kingdom consequences to some decisions that you need to make, even if you're a Jesus follower, like the decision to tithe and the decision to give, the decision to be a part of something here at the church, or the decision to get involved, the decision to serve the Lord. All of these things have kingdom consequences, and you need to quit putting those things off. And until you get to heaven, do something. We said last week that you need to get involved in something. You need to give something. You need to help someone. You need to teach someone. You need to love someone. You need to serve someone. You need to lead someone. And if you can do that, you will find unexpected joy in your life. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to continue in our series in the book of Philippians I'm going to ask that you turn to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 27 to 30. And if you pull out one of the blue Bibles in your rows or in the pews, it's page 185 in your pew Bible. I originally thought that this series was going to be four weeks long because there was four chapters, 
in the book of Philippians, and this is week four, and we're only on chapter one. So this time next year, we should be done the book of Philippians, but man, there is so much in here. It's so rich, and it's full of some golden nuggets, and I hope and pray that you've been grasping on to some of this gold that's found in the book of Philippians. Verse 27, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of of salvation for you, and that too from God. Remember, Paul, Paul doesn't know what's about to happen to him. He's about to go to trial, and he didn't know if he would be released or if he would be executed. And so he tells his friends that whether he was going to return to them or whether he would be killed for the sake of the gospel, he says, conduct yourselves in a way that is worthy of the gospel. Conduct yourselves in a way that is worthy of the gospel. You know, this phrase, conduct yourself, it literally means live as citizens. So live as citizens of the gospel. You know, Philippi is this colony in Rome, and and the people who are living in Philippi, they're very proud of their Roman citizenship. Their their Roman citizenship held certain privileges and held certain rights, and there was this prestige that was associated with being a Roman citizen. And we can understand that in our culture and our context here today, because being a citizen of whatever country you're from, it, it carries certain rights, carries certain privileges. If you were an American citizen, you carry the right and the privilege to seek employment in in any sector. If you're an American citizen, you have the right and the freedom to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It includes the security and protection that's provided by America. And there is also this prestige That's associated with being an American citizen. And so here is Paul, and he's reminding the Philippians that even though they're citizens of Rome, they are also citizens of another kingdom. They are citizens of heaven. And they need to live as citizens of heaven with all of the responsibilities that that status contains. And so I want to remind you this morning that you have certain rights and you have certain privileges as citizens of the kingdom of God. As citizens of the kingdom of God, you get entrance into heaven. Those of you who have asked Jesus into your heart and into your life and you are living for Him, you get to experience purpose and meaning in this life here on earth. You get to experience the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the incredible love of God. And more than anything else, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, 
you have direct access to the king. As a citizen of America, as an American citizen, you do not have direct access to the president. Every now and then you might feel as though you have a voice and a say, but the truth is is that you do not have direct access to the president of the United States. But as a citizen of heaven, you have direct access to the king. And Paul is telling his friends, he says, listen, no matter what happens to me, make sure you live and act as a citizen of heaven. If they execute me at trial, your job is to act as a citizen of heaven. If they release me, your job is to act as a citizen of heaven. I want to ask you this question this morning. In the face of your oppositions, right, in the face of your problems, in the middle of your problem, when things turn around and actually go your way, how do you behave? How do you act? Are you the type of person that gloats? Do you act arrogant and pompous? Do you make it a point to rub it in people's faces? This is not the way that a citizen of heaven should behave. When things don't go your way, how do you behave? Do you pout like a child? Do you display all of your frustrations and your anger for the world to see? Are your irritations plastered all over social media? When things don't go your way, do you seek revenge? Or maybe you turn to the bottle. Or maybe you turn to something worse. And this is not the way that a citizen of heaven ought to behave. Paul says, listen, Whatever happens to me, conduct yourselves in a way that reflects your citizenship in heaven. Conduct yourselves in a way that is worthy of the gospel. Worthy of the gospel. Do you know what the gospel is this morning? Does anyone know what the gospel is? Can you tell me what the gospel is? What is the gospel? It's the good news, right? It is the good news, not that you were saved from anxiety. It's the good news, not that you were saved from your problems. That's not what the good news is. The good news is that you were saved from the flames of hell. That's the good news. So what Paul is saying is behave like you have been a person who was just saved from hell. Live for the one that saved you from the flames of hell. Live worthy of the gospel. Paul uses this term in a few of his other letters. He says this in Romans 16. He says this in Ephesians 4. He says this in 1 Thessalonians. But he gives this extended explanation when he writes a letter to the church in Colossae. Listen to what he tells them in Colossians 1, 10 to 12. He says this, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, 
being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. This is what Paul meant when he told the Philippians to live worthy of the gospel. It's a call to follow Jesus closely. Not just to ask Him into your heart and into your life and then get your ticket stamped to go to heaven and then go off and live any old way you want to. No, that's not what this is about. This is a call to follow Jesus closely. To follow Him closely at home. To follow Him closely in your neighborhoods. To follow Him closely at work. To follow Him closely at school. To live worthy of the gospel is to be active in your own personal growth in Jesus. And so I want to ask you today, how active are you in your own growth in Jesus? See, when a Christ follower is inactive in their personal growth, that's when regression happens. That's when apathy sets in. That's when stagnation sets in. That's when you become weak. That's when the enemy has an opportunity to come in and grab a foothold in your life. And So how are you living your life this morning? How is your family living this morning? How is your work life like? What is school like for you? Are you living worthy of the gospel. That doesn't mean you got everything put together. That doesn't mean your life is perfect. I mean, that's impossible. I mean, some people think that I have to have everything right in my life before I start living for Jesus. I got to have everything right in my life before I start serving Jesus. Some people think that you need to have your life cleaned up before you ask Jesus into your heart and into your life and begin living for Him. And I want to tell you this morning, you don't have to have everything put together. You don't have to have your life put together before you start living for Jesus. You just need to start living for Him and allow Him to transform your life. Transformation happens from the inside out with the help from the Holy Spirit. Don't try to change yourself from the outside in. It'll never happen. It'll never work. And what that means is you don't have to try to say the right things. You don't try to have to look the part. You don't have to dress a certain way. You just need to ask the Holy Spirit to come and work and move inside of you and allow Him to work the changes that need to happen in you. See, God isn't asking you to live perfectly, but He is asking you to live differently. And this is a high calling, to live differently at school, to live differently with your friends who don't know Jesus, to live differently with your family who don't care for Jesus. Are you living your life worthy of the gospel? I mean, when things go great for you, are you living your life worthy of the gospel. When things aren't so great for you, are you living your life worthy of the gospel? When life is a disaster, are you living your life 
worthy of the gospel? Are you conducting yourself in a manner that represents your citizenship in heaven? I mean, your lifestyle, your day-to-day living, your behavior in and out of Sunday, it needs to match where your citizenship lies in. And this morning, the challenge for us is to act who you are in Jesus and behave in a way that people will know what you're all about. Behave in a way that people will know who you live for. And then Paul says this, verse 27. I want to hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of, of salvation for you, and that too from God. You know, Paul, Paul's no fool. He knew everything that was going on in all of the churches that were established, He would write letters to all these different churches. He would encourage some of them. He would address some false teaching that was going around. And he's saying, look, no matter what happens to me, I want to know that you guys are standing firm in one spirit. Clearly, there had been some type of division in the church. And clearly, Paul heard about a lack of unity that existed in this church And there's a problem when disunity happens in the church. When there's disunity, you can't honor God with your lives. A divided church reflects negatively on who Jesus is. Division in the church hinders the spreading of the gospel. And this principle has never changed. We cannot honor God with a divided church. We cannot be a faithful witness to Him if we lack unity. Now, I want to tell you that I love that Glad Tidings is a church that has unity. I love that we are intergenerational. I love that we have people across different political lines here. And more than anything else, I love that even though there are so many of us here from different backgrounds and different cultures and different nations We come here together understanding that we share in the same citizenship in heaven. It's what I love about this place. It's what I love about this church. And while all of these things are good things, the warning for us is this. Do nothing to hinder the unity of God's church. That doesn't mean you can't ask questions. That doesn't mean you can't be concerned about certain things, but it does mean take your questions to the right people. It does mean seek clarification from the right people and from leadership, but have no desire in your life to be involved in gossip. Have no desire to be part of tearing someone else down in this place. We will never advance the gospel. We will never reach lost people through bickering and through gossip. It only brings disunity to the church. 
And so instead, we need to do what Paul is, is saying to us. We need to stand firm in one spirit, striving together for the gospel. Striving together for the gospel. You know, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done right outside these doors, right in Quincy, right in the South Shore. And in order for us to do what God has called us to do, we need to stand firm in one spirit. There is no fence sitting at Glad Tidings Church. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? There is no fence sitting here. We need to be striving together for the gospel. You know, the gospel wasn't supposed to be solely on the shoulders of the pastor. That's not, that's not what this was designed to be like. It wasn't supposed to be on the shoulders of our department head leaders or our board. It was meant to be shared amongst all those who call themselves a Jesus follower. Why? Because we are better together. I want to remind you this morning that while you and I begin to work towards the advancement of the gospel, opposition is going to come. You know, during this time that Paul is writing, there's this increased opposition. There is increased pressure that's mounting. Pressure... Sorry. There's increased pressure that's mounting, pressure to conform to Roman culture. And Paul is encouraging the people. He says, listen, don't sit on the fence. Some people in the church were probably tempted to stray. Some people in the church were tempted to compromise. And Paul urges them. He says, listen, you need to stay committed. Stay committed to Jesus. Stay committed to the church. Stay committed to the gospel. And this morning, you might be here, and you're sitting on that fence. I mean, what is this whole following Jesus thing going to look like in front of my family? What is this whole following Jesus thing going to mean in front of my friends at school? What is this whole following Jesus thing going to mean in front of my neighbors? And maybe you're here, and maybe you know the truth, and you've begun to compromise on the truth. Maybe you've compromised on the truth to be politically correct in the office. Maybe you've compromised on the truth because of how you're going to look in front of your boss or your friends or your neighbors or your coworkers. I want to tell you that you are not called to compromise on the truth. You are not called to compromise on the truth for the sake of being accepted by your friends. You're not called to compromise on the truth for the sake of pleasing other people. But we need to stand firm on who Jesus is regardless of what the world says. And while you stand firm, be sure that opposition is going to come. It's not that it might come. It will come. And I'll close with verse 29 to 30 this morning. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, 
and now here to be in me. You know, if you are a Jesus follower this morning, struggles will come. And if you are a Jesus follower this morning, opposition will come. If you are a Jesus follower this morning, persecution will come. And as a citizen of heaven, the Apostle Paul understood this right from the beginning of his ministry. Listen to what, what Luke says in Acts chapter 5. He says this, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus Christ. Man, that is a powerful verse. They found themselves worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. You know, by nature, you and I, we don't, we don't consider suffering to be a privilege. I mean, nobody wants to feel rejected. Nobody wants to feel ostracized. Nobody, nobody wants to feel like the outcast. Or nobody wants to f- feel like they've been put to shame. And more than that, I mean, nobody wants to be imprisoned for a decision for Jesus. Nobody wants to be tortured. Nobody wants to be executed for making a stand for Jesus. But Paul considered it a privilege to suffer for Jesus. And he's writing to the the believers in Philippi to let them know that suffering persecution wasn't punishment for their sins. Persecution came not because they did something wrong. And for us, when people reject you, when people ostracize you, when people ridicule you for making a stand for Jesus, don't think that what you're feeling is because of something that you did wrong. No, it's because you're doing something right. See, suffering for Jesus is this high honor. There are teachers and, and preachers and a whole lot of televangelists out there who, who want you to think that this loving God would never let you suffer, but that's not the case. And that's not what Scripture tells us. That's not what Paul is even telling us. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, if the world hates you, remember it hated me before that. There is this high calling to suffer for Jesus. Did you know that there are people who are imprisoned in North Korea because they love Jesus? There are thousands who are ostracized around the world. There are families that are torn apart because somebody in the family believes in Jesus. There are people who are being beheaded for believing in Jesus in the Middle East. I mean, our suffering here is nothing compared to what other people experience around this world. And I'm not saying you have to go out looking for this type of suffering, but I am saying that we need to remember those who are suffering. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit would overwhelm them to help them stand in the midst of their trials. And these lives, they serve as an encouragement to us. And I want to encourage you this morning 
Stand firm for Jesus. Stand firm for Jesus at home. Stand firm for Jesus in your neighborhood. Stand firm for Jesus at your school. Stand firm for Jesus at the workplace. Standing firm does a lot for us. You want to know what it does? It weeds out flaky believers. And it helps us put our focus on our eternal destination. Standing firm for Jesus strengthens our faith. You know, there's a reason why Paul talks about unity in the church. And there's a reason why you and I need to protect the unity that exists at Glad Tidings Church. And it's because we need each other. We need each other to help each other to stand firm. We need each other to help overcome the struggles that we are facing. Folks, you need your teens to be plugged into youth group. You need yourselves to be plugged into the things that are going on in the life of Glad Tidings Church. You need to be a part of a life group. As we advance the gospel, we need seasoned believers to lead life groups here at the church. And I want you to know this morning that you aren't supposed to go through the struggles that you're experiencing all by yourself. But there are brothers and sisters here who are ready to walk alongside you, who are ready to pray with you, who are ready to believe for a miracle for you. Why? Because we have people here who know and actively believe that we are better together. This is what happens when we get together. When we come together, we start believing in things, things that we sing about. Man, I love the songs that we sang this morning. We sang about Jesus who was carrying our burdens, our Jesus who covered our shame, our Jesus who has overcome. He's the one that has overcome. In the midst of us going to advance the gospel and in the midst of those trials and in the midst of persecution, in the midst of our friends ridiculing us, we can come here together as one body, remembering and, and encouraging each other. It's Jesus who has overcome. It's Jesus who has carried our burdens. It's Jesus who has washed away our, our shame. It's God who is fighting for us and pushing back the darkness. He is the one who's lighting up the kingdom that cannot be shaken. And in the name of Jesus, our enemy will defeat it, and we're going to shout out all about it. I'll close with this this morning. Your high calling is to live worthy of the gospel. And your high calling is to live different than the world does. And you have a high calling, and that is to be found worthy to suffer for Jesus. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. Verse 3, he says this, We glory in our sufferings 
Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. We glory in our sufferings. Let's pray together this morning. I'm going to ask our communion team to prepare themselves as we go to the Lord's table. Lord Jesus, we just come before you this morning. God, we ask that you would give us strength, that you would give us courage, that you would give us boldness to stand firm for you in our homes. God, help us to stand firm for you in our schools. God, help us to stand firm for you in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. God, help us to stand firm for you. And Lord Jesus, while people may laugh at us, while people may discourage us, Holy Spirit, would you overwhelm us, God, that we would consider ourselves privileged to suffer for you. Lord Jesus, we pray for those who have made a stand for you around this world, who are imprisoned at this time, God. God, we ask that you would overwhelm them with your Holy Spirit. God, for those who have been removed from their families, God, we ask that you would overwhelm them with your Spirit. God, for those who are facing execution right now because of their love for you, God, we ask that you would overwhelm them with your Spirit that they would be able to stand firm. Lord Jesus, this morning as a church, we stand firm together with them. Give us courage. Give us strength. Give us boldness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.